This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Unique to You Creations. Gina Sarter is the passionate artist and firm believer in the power of creativity, positivity, and self-love that is behind this incredible company. This little corner of the internet is where art and inspiration collide to empower women and spread joy. Art has always been her refuge, a way to express her emotions and connect with others. Through Unique to You Creations, she strives to create pieces that not only reflect her love for art, but also inspire self-expression and uplift those who encounter them. This is such an empowering and creative company that is truly an adventure. Together, let's create a world that embraces art, positivity, self-love, and the unwavering strength of women. I am absolutely in love with her company, and I wear her apparel almost on the daily, and it makes me feel love, self-empowered, and so strong. Make sure you head over to her website, www.unique2u.com, and make sure to follow on Instagram for all of her new and creative designs. And for podcast listeners today, make sure you use the code LITTLEBIT for 10% off of your order. I am absolutely in love with not only what this company stands behind, what it stands for, but what empowerment it is giving to all of us women and all of us mothers and strength combined within our household. Again, make sure to follow them on Instagram and head on over at www.unique2u.com and get your self-empower shirt, t-shirt, hoodie, stickers, and so much more. And let's really change the world through love, through art, and through creativity today. Welcome to the Little Bit of Life podcast. I'm your host, Little, better known as Tabitha. A lot of you may know me from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join me on these topics that have impacted me along the way. Very little is off limits. Tune in on your favorite streaming platform and be a part of the interview with videos on the Little Bit of Life podcast YouTube channel. Let's dive into these topics together, one voice, one story at a time. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, Little Bit of Life podcast, right here with your host, Little. I was scrolling TikTok and I came across a video that has gone viral with over 2 million views. There's a lot of videos out there that really tear at our heartstrings, but when I tell you that this one took full force upon my soul, that is an understatement. There is a female online on TikTok. Her name is Shauna. She has gone through narcissism, living with a partner that was manipulative, that was destructive, that was the epitome of breaking down every single self-esteem part of you. But it changed one night when she was at work and their 10-week-old daughter was shaken by her own father at 10 weeks old, fought for her life and put Shauna in the most appalling and incredible scenario of standing up for herself, standing up for her beautiful daughter, Chloe, and seeing the beauty through trauma. I am so honored to have Shauna on this very special episode to talk about that dreadful night that she found out that Chloe's own father shook her at only 10 weeks old. After being in the hospital for over six weeks and seeing her daughter's tenacity and true strength, I am amazed and I'm so honored to have her on to talk about this very touching subject and to give every parent that maybe this has happened to either them or their own child the strength to see beauty in the light of trauma, to see their own strength, and to be able to be empowered as a woman and as a mother 
to move forward, move ahead, and see the beauty in the darkness. Aaron, for three very long, painful years, I dedicated my every single breath to empowering you to be a better person and a better father. I realize now, looking back, that you were draining the life out of me every second, and I was enabling you. You did unspeakable things to me, and I had slowly become isolated from everyone I had ever known, leaving only you. So I made the best of what I had. I worked 14-hour days to try to support our family, while you sat back and laughed the entire time at how much you were able to take from me. And in the blink of an eye, all of that changed. The most heinous act of all, you violently shook a 10-week-old baby, leaving her on a ventilator fighting for her life while you ran off to avoid the consequences of your actions. We spent six long weeks in that hospital, and every single day, Chloe overcame one obstacle after another. You'll never understand what those moments were like, because you weren't there. But immediately, Chloe began to take back her power. I found out a few days ago that you'll be getting released from prison on July 17th, which is three months shy of your full sentence. I've exhausted my anger, and it's been replaced with sweet, sweet indifference. Because honestly, I would hate to be the guy getting released from prison with everybody in his hometown knowing exactly what he did to an innocent baby, his own baby. Over the past three years, we've had to find some sort of semblance of normalcy. A new normal, if you want to call it that. I've had to balance giving my older three children the most normal life that I possibly can while trying to make sure that Chloe is included as much as possible. The thing about Chloe is she wasn't supposed to survive the ambulance ride, and then she wasn't supposed to survive the night, and then she was supposed to be paralyzed and blind and deaf. But every single moment, a layer would peel back and she would amaze us. She has grown into the most loved, beautiful, animated, and silly little girl, and none of that is thanks to you. I have had to forgive myself a thousand times for staying with someone who abused me, thinking that his behavior towards my children would be any different. I pushed through being choked, being pulled down the stairs by my hair, being cheated on, sexually assaulted, and mentally manipulated in every single way because my brain couldn't possibly fathom that you would ever do this to a child, your own child. What happened has altered my brain chemistry forever. Chloe didn't even get to enjoy a smash cake on her first birthday because she was on a feeding tube. So she had to wait till her second birthday and we let her have the whole thing. She learned to trust people again because I met an amazing- Hey guys, welcome into another very special episode, a little bit of life podcast right here with your host, Little. I have on a guest with me today. All of my guests are amazing and they're strong and they have incredible stories, but hers is one that you definitely need to sit back and take a listen. Shauna, welcome on. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. I came across your video. It has gone viral is an understatement on TikTok and you shared what happened in your life four years ago, which for any parent is heart-wrenching, it's traumatic, but you're bringing light to something that happened to you, to your daughter, and within your family circle, but you're bringing it full circle of what trauma looks like from the other side. So go ahead and share a little bit about your story. What happened four years ago? So at that point in time, I was married to somebody who was just getting home from actually a recovery program. So they were in jail for three months, 
rehab for three months and then a halfway house for three months. And the whole time worked with counselors to make sure, hey, what's our rate of relapse? Like, how's everything sounding? And I was trying to be very, very proactive about how I can get ahead of whatever I need to do. I have no experience with this sort of thing. So it was very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So he comes home May 3rd. We you know, are going through life as normal. We have had a history of abuse towards me and I had always equated it to when he's sober, we're great. When he's using, we're terrible. So I know he's going to be sober. He's testing clean three times a week. Everything's going to be okay. We're cooking dinners together. We're going to the park with our daughters. Like everything finally feels normal. And I go to work on June 9th. It was a 14-hour shift. I was working at, like, a local bar and tavern then. And, you know, we're texting throughout the day. He was always a little bit irritable when I was at work because I wasn't paying all my attention to him. So, and when you're dealing with somebody like this, it's like irrational behavior is normal behavior. And normal behavior is also normal behavior. So, you never really know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. So, no red flags there. Um, he said, oh, the baby's been win-win all night long. And I said, well, when I get home, I'll give her a hug. And he said, well, I finally got her to sleep, so just leave her alone. I'm like, all right, whatever. So, I finish up my shift. I come home. Everybody's sleeping. I go to bed. I wake up in the morning, and I notice that the baby's hand is twitching. And to me, fourth-time mom, I'm not a big alarmist, but... Mm-hmm. Muscle spasms, to me, says neurological or something bigger than me. So... I called the pediatrician. He said, it doesn't sound crazy because she was on an antibiotic at the time. So just bring her by whenever you can. So as soon as I take her to the office, she goes into full body seizures. We end up going by ambulance to our local hospital and they cannot get access to her bloodstream. So they're scared they're going to lose her. So they call Akron Children's in, which is our local children's hospital to come and pick her up. Crash kit the whole nine. So we go by ambulance. I'm sitting up front. Nobody's making a sound. It was terrifying. So we take the 30-minute drive out there. My husband at the time follows out in my car. We get there. They rush her away. We get sent to a different room while they try to access her bloodstream and get her settled. And when they finally set us down a little bit later, they said, you know, this is what we've done so far. Here's what we're going to do. This is what we've rolled out. Um, I was panicked, but they kind of had me under the impression that it was a febrile seizure at first. So I Mm -hmm. was like, okay, this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So later the pediatrician that was on call sits down with us and says, I have it down to two things. And that's a traumatic brain injury or a rare bleeding disorder. And at this point, bells just start going off for me because you know, we do all our prenatal care. We've had all the appropriate testing. I just knew in my heart it was not a bleeding disorder. Mm -hmm. So at this point now, I'm sitting next to my husband. My daughter's on a ventilator. I am 90% sure what he did. And I'm telling myself, like, I have to be nice to him because I need him to stay here. Because Mm -hmm. if he leaves, he can't get arrested. He can't tell the doctors the truth. Like, I have to play nice. And I take him to dinner and I was like, listen, (laughs) like, let me reason with you here because I was at work Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the two-year-old that was in bed. So it was you and a 10-week-old baby and now it's a 10-week-old baby with a brain injury. So before this gets in over your head, can you please tell me what happened? Like, I'm begging you. 
I can't believe you're turning on me right now. This is the worst day of our lives. Um, I'm like, you know what? Okay, this is how we're going to play it. So I get back to the hospital. I refuse to leave her side. He goes off to the family wing where they can, you can sleep overnight or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, well, they don't want you staying in here. Like, let's go sleep. And I said, my daughter is on a ventilator. I'm not leaving. Yeah. And so then I start to feel weird. Like, why are you trying to get me away from my daughter? Like, I'm just more and more, everything is starting to be red flags. Like, I know what you did now. This is so disturbing. So we go into the next day. Um, at that point, social worker pulls me into her office. I tell her everything. I am like horrified at this point. He still thinks I have not a clue. Mm-hmm. So I tell her, this is how I met this man. This is everything that's ever happened. Like, I'm on your team. What do we do? Like, save me. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring him in. He essentially says, hey, same, whatever she said, that too. So she was like, he's like cooperating, but not. It was very strange. Weird. Yeah. So then the detectives come in and this is like a pretty small knit community that we live in. So it was a resource officer from our high school. So he recognized him immediately and took off. So the doctors are like, well, I mean, I think that says a lot right there. Mm -hmm. Um, So then when they really got a full assessment, what they told me happened was that around maybe nine o'clock at night, he had shaken her so hard that the back of her head touched her spine and her chin touched her chest. Um, she had a bleed in the front and rear of her head, which is like the telltale sign of a baby that's been shaken. She had a retinal hemorrhage in both eyes and she had died and they, he had squeezed her stomach and blown in her mouth so hard that he overinflated her lungs and there was fluid in her stomach lining, but she still was revived. So after that point, he puts her to bed and acts like nothing happened while I'm at work, you know, texting casually with him. Um, so he is picked up at the hospital when he leaves. He goes immediately. He calls one of his friends that was a one of the directors at the IOP for his drug recovery to come pick him up. And he immediately overdoses on heroin. She takes him to get revived and then he gets arrested. So the detective calls me and says, Hey, I finally got to sit down and talk with him. Um, You know, just so you know, this is everything that's happened. He's in custody. Now he told the detectives that, Um, My daughter had thrown up after a bottle and that he put her, like he gave her a bath. And when he was coming out of the bathroom that she like flew out of his hands face down on the carpet. And like, it just doesn't, because when they said you dropped her, like what off of a four story building, like it was just not at all close. So when I had gone back to the apartment, I was like, well, you know, let's just peep the situation a little bit bathtub's bone dry. The pajamas were not dirty. They were the same ones that I had put her in the day before. Like there was no vomit on them. Like nothing made sense about what he said. I knew that, but just to check that box. Um, so while I'm on the phone with the detective and he's explaining to me, like he just overdosed, we're taking him in. Mm-hmm. I get a Facebook messenger message from my ex-husband that says, I'm sorry. And that's, I said, I'm sorry they were able to revive you again. And then I blocked him. (laughs) And that was the last time that I ever spoke to him. I 
we were at the hospital for six weeks and I got taken to a boardroom where the doctors were essentially like, we don't think that you like get it. Like you're not reacting normally. And I hate that because what, what would you do? Like, what is, where's the playbook? So I told them because they're like, oh, you know, your daughter, she's likely to be paralyzed and deaf and blind. And you're probably going to have to learn how to clean a trachea to even take her home. And you're just like not crying. And I'm like, I'm not crying in front of you people. I don't know you. Like I go in the shower at Ronald McDonald House and I cry my guts out. But I have to pack that up here. This is not about me. So. As time was going on, obviously she was not blind. They were doing pupil tests and she was reacting. She was reacting to sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, she was fighting being sedated as they tried to like wean her off sedation. She immediately started like trying to cry and trying to wave her arms and kick her feet and stuff. And they're like, we have her on such a high dose. We have no idea how she's doing. This. But Chloe's like, I am here. <laughs> so we get... Uh, discharged at the middle of August. And I had been like begging to let me out of this step down unit because it was so miserable there. Like the, the hospital was doing their best, but there, this was before COVID and they were still understaffed and the patient ratio was not good. Chloe is high needs. I wanted her to come home. So I finally got to bring her home in the end of August with this neck brace on. And she was Mm -hmm. all, well, you saw her in the video and her little neck So, um, because there was torn ligaments in her cervical spine, so she had to be stabilized. That was able to come off after September. And as of today, therapies, surgeries, Botox injections later, she is, other than tight muscle tone, she's completely socially appropriate. She has a minor speech delay, but she's doing far better than any of us really thought that she would. In the video, she's beautiful and stunning, and you can just tell like she's got a spunk. Like she's, like you said, she's she's here. Yeah. She's here for a reason, and she she's ready to show everybody why. Um, I want to go to where you said like you know you were taken from this. You know you're taken separately. You talk to a social worker because this is happening so often in regards to children and trauma. When you have to speak about your partner, I, I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine you are so focused on finding out what happened, getting justice for your daughter, but also you're still in that protective mode of like, am, am I sure this happened? I need to get the fact, like you're literally your own like undercover detective. Meanwhile, all of this is going on. Did you have a fear of how he was going to react based on, you know, all of the history that you guys had together? I didn't fear him at that point. And I think that this is not a common experience, but Akron Children's Hospital handles everything from the moment you hit the door with such grace. Like Mm -hmm. we were never treated. Now they knew between the two of us, one of us had done it and they didn't know who. Mm -hmm. And we were never treated less than we, until they got to the bottom of it. I mean, they were always so respectful. The social worker was like, Shauna, after talking to you, after seeing the way he's behaving and the way you're behaving, like, I am willing to put my bet and say that you did not do this. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I told her, I was like, please get him out of here. Like, please get him away from me. I can't do this. Like, I don't want to lose it on him. I don't want him here. Like, I'm fully cooperating with you. I just want him away from me. Like, I feel like Chloe isn't even going to want to wake up or anything. Like if he's still here, you can just feel that like presence. Mm -hmm. And it was such a hard thing because I think a lot of people 
like Chloe got the whole focus and rightfully so she was absolutely the victim in this but overnight I went from having a family to having nothing nobody like it was horrible and I'm grieving the loss of my marriage and the person that's supposed to be my best friend spending my life. And I was not able to really tell anybody like, I miss him. I am heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And I never dare say that out loud, but there's no light switch. That's like, Oh, we hate him now. Like, yeah, I'm furious. I never once considered forgiving him. That was not even like a blip on the radar, but I was, hurting and I had to pack that up and put it away. And that was really hard. But I think the social worker, she treated me with the utmost respect and immediately gave me access to resources. Um, And I think we've had a terrible experience with the court system, but the hospitals, zero complaints at all. I just wanted him away from us immediately so that we could start healing. Mm -hmm. I know the question as people are listening, any prior flags, like any anger issues with other children, anything that would have ever made this become your reality? So he was abusive to me. Yes, that was always, like I said, in correlation with when he was in active addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, But he always kept it away from the kids. And so I, as time was going on, I'm like, it really is me. Like I'm making this man this angry because if he was just like an abusive man, he would just lose control. Right. Well, that's bullshit because they never lose it in front of the cops. They never Mm -hmm. lose it in front of someone bigger than them. So he honestly, I think was just trying to isolate me even from my children so that as time went on my kids were like mom is nuts like she's crying all the time my co-parent had really no idea what was going on because I was afraid if he knew the whole truth he would try to take my kids away I was afraid if I left my kids were going to get taken away I just felt like damned if I do damned if I don't Mm -hmm. so for me yes he was abusive to me a lot of people think oh my god that should be such an obvious red flag But when you're dealing with someone that's such a narcissist, in my head, I thought he has such an ego on him and my kids are like little shrunken versions of him. There's no way he would hurt someone that's that much of a reflection of himself. Mm -hmm. And even so, we put, I am always like, because I'm an anxious person, here's this thing and here's the 15 things that could go wrong. So let's get ahead of it. So when I would leave for work, I, and he'd say, oh, you know, she's extra fussy today. I would say... If she starts to like cry to that point that you're feeling yourself get frustrated, we had an angel care manager just set her down. You can see the sound bar moving without having to have the volume on. So just Mm -hmm. go on the patio, smoke a cigarette, do what you got to do. She's okay. And if it gets to that point that you're that frustrated, call my mom, call me. Like, it's okay. If you need a day off, you know, you just got home from nine months in different facilities, take a break, take a breather, get a job, go to meetings, do what you want to do. You have help. And then Mm -hmm. he would always say stuff like, well, my kids aren't going to a babysitter when their father's home. And I'm like, that's not a babysitter. That's their grandmother. So (laughs) at that point, I think I do still feel a lot of guilt for it, but I know at the end of the day, I did everything in that situation that I could possibly do. Yeah. Sounds like you provided all of the options and more. And it was just something that no matter what you offered, it was unfortunately the worst of the worst is what he chose to do. So we're going into the dreaded topic, but something I know everyone's curious, how is the court system in processing this? 
Whew, it was bad. <laughs> so the county that the hospital was in was different than the one that this occurred in. Mm-hmm. And the county that we're in is actually so rough that the county that the hospital's in called me and said, I am so sorry. I can't do anything for you, but I'm going to try to get you like a leg up to at least the right phone number for the person you have to deal with over there. Um, I've had the same advocate for a long time, but she got promoted. And so every person I've dealt with under her has been non-receptive. I've actually like not even really got a call back from any of them. I did not see the advocate until the day of his sentencing. And he was sitting on a bench like three feet from me. And I'm like, I just feel like this shouldn't be allowed to happen. No. So, and the person that is, he's moving in with works for the courts, like works for job and family services, works with the drug court. So she is using county resources to help him get a job, to help him get a lawyer. But she believes his story. And I am sorry, but you're a government employee. You don't get to make that decision like it's not an opinion he's convicted of this so um today we find we did i haven't even posted this yet but we did get our protection order um for six months and i go in 10 days to see if they're going to grant me the five years or not but to me i have begged at every turn for his rights to be terminated and it never felt like a conversation i should have even had to have wow what was his sentencing out of curiosity? It was three years. So originally he was supposed to get 18 years max for felonious assault, but that would be the full trial. Mm-hmm. So after 10 continuances and then telling me like, we don't know how long this is going to go because at this point now it's COVID. They, you know, <laughs> they're like, well, I think there was like 10 continuances when this is all said and done. So yeah. my advocate calls me and says, I want to present this plea deal to you. Take a couple days to think about it. And they said, we want to plead down to child abuse, child endangering, uh, max three years. And in the couple of days I thought about it, honestly, 10 minutes or 10 years, like it doesn't change anything. What three years did was give me enough time to file for divorce, to get Chloe in school, to start the process of getting his rights terminated without him being able to run because he does have a history of that. Mm -hmm. And to get a charge against a child put right on there, which was so important to me because he could have explained felonious assault any number of ways. But when Mm -hmm. it says child abuse, like that's pretty right there. Wow. Three years. Like when we're sitting and thinking about that, three years, because it's not something that in three years, Chloe's able to be back to normal. And, and I hate even using that term of back to normal. She has her own personality. She is who she is supposed to be, but she is a different version of herself due to what his actions chose to do. And three years doesn't seem that long. I mean, you can go through all kinds of stuff here in the state of Texas for traffic and you can go 5, 10, 15 years. And we're talking about the abuse of a child. Mm-hmm. Three years. When you put that in a bubble, it seems like nothing. No, it really does. But I was also very concerned going into it that I don't really know the average person has 
a depth of understanding of what shaken baby syndrome really is. And I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, the nurses demonstrated to me how hard you have to be shaken for it to cause brain damage. And I think a lot of, I've had even new moms reach out to me on TikTok and say, I am scared to death of this. You know, same as SIDS. It's the, it's the great unknown. Oh my God, this happens to normal people. What is going mm-hmm. on? So I've had, new moms reach out and say, like, if I bounce my baby on my hip, am I going to cause damage? Like, what if the baby rolls off the couch? Like, no, the traumatic or the birth process is traumatic in and of itself. Babies Mm -hmm. are resilient. You have to do this on, like, very on purpose. This has to be Mm -hmm. a very hard back and forth motion. So I thought if we went to a jury trial and he sat there crying the blues about, oh, I dropped the baby and I thought everybody was going to turn on me and I didn't know what to do, that it would just take one out of 12 people to ruin everything. So I thought I can go for nothing or I can go for this. And if he gets let go, there's no chance at a protection order. There's no chance that I'm going to get his rights terminated. So it was a stop on the journey and it wasn't fair, but nothing at this point is fair and nothing's going to make it fair. So I just Mm -hmm. did the guarantee. I don't know if as a parent, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, we, we always, you know, we always hear stories and we watch stuff, you know, obviously on TV and media and news and, you know, in social media, everything comes at our fingertips. And we always think of, I mean, it's human nature. We always think of revenge, but I'm amazed at how you are so kind hearted of this, of no matter the time, it wouldn't change. I mean, what was done was done. So what did it look like? after soon to that release time, you know, finding that protection order and really living in that traumatic moment, but moving ahead with your own life. Cause you've done so many brilliant things. Like I'm putting all your TikTok in. You are working out. You're doing your meal prep. I'm probably going to have to message you on the side and be like, Hey, I need this recipe. Like those secret seasoning details. I need that. But I mean, you're, you're creating a life after trauma, which so many people don't even know where to start. What does that look like after for the protection order and your life now with her? So I feel like that is the greatest revenge that you can get, especially when you're dealing with a narcissist is, hey, mm-hmm. look, I am everything you said I wasn't and I'm nothing that you said that I was. And I'm doing it without you. And I'm far better without you. And your kids call somebody else dad. Like that is such a kick in the nuts to somebody that thinks they're the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with everything that we have going on and moving forward, there was a lot of talk about us picking up and moving out of state. Like, because we were just thinking if the courts aren't going to protect us, we have to at least put some distance. And the more I sat back, I'm like, I'm not going to run Chloe out of her therapist for him. I'm not going to waste good or bad energy on him. He's just going to be a person in my mind that did this thing and is now dead. And that is what it is. And if he does see us, I don't block him on social media. I don't block, well, the one I did, cause she's a little cuckoo, but I don't <laughs> block his friends. <laughs> I don't block his family. We're here. We're succeeding. You can't do anything to me anymore. So I think when everybody says, oh, if that was my daughter, like you really have to take a second and say, okay, I could have caved his head in with a sledgehammer. Now what? Now I'm in jail. Now he's a victim. Now Chloe ends up either in foster care or in his care. Like I, I think people say these things and it seems 
so like, you know, sensational, but that's just not the reality of it. Like Mm -hmm. I just kept telling myself if I could sit next to this man for 24 hours and not choke the life out of him, like he doesn't even get to participate in what we have going on now at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like you said, it's the best revenge for a narcissist. They want full control over everyone and everything. And it's that discard. They don't want you to move on or better yourself. And they want that control until they choose when they discard you. Your video, I'm telling you guys, I'm going to link it because I think I probably watched it a hundred times crying in bed because I couldn't sleep that night. But it's so heartwarming to me that you have an amazing man that treats her as his own. He doesn't look at her any different. And I think that how you guys are going through this partnership and a team with her and your other children, you're teaching her it's okay. She has her own ways of things. And like I said, she's spunky. You can tell in that little smile. She's she's sassy. When she gets older, good luck. We might have to do this another one in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. But I love that for you because you're showing her what strength and forgiveness looks like after trauma because that's so hard because I'm sure you're going through it still. It's not something that, like you said, you just wake up like that was a part of your life that changed, part of your life that went missing. So how do you deal with that with like mental health and trauma and and just kind of living your life, not feeling that guilt, but just kind of going day by day? I have definitely, when I went into therapy, really had to assess the difference between things that are actual thoughts and feelings and then the things that are hiding behind them and the root causes Mm -hmm. and to be able to take a step back and say, um, you know, I am safe. Um, if I lose myself in anger, I'm not doing anything to him. Um, if I want to give my kids a chance to bounce back from this, I have to, apologize, be the adult and apologize to them. I have to explain this in an age appropriate way and not hide it. I have to understand that guilt is not a productive, actionable thing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do anything. It lives in the past. I can't undo allowing him to stay in our home. I can't undo going to work that day and not taking the kids to my mom's house. So anybody that leaves a comment like hateful, it's like, okay, but what was the goal of that? Because what would you have me do? Okay. Mm -hmm. I said, I feel guilty. You said I should feel guilty. Where are we at here? So Mm -hmm. for me, I take that guilt and turn it into purpose. I take that guilt and give my kids a better life for people saying things about, oh, I would never be able to go on and trust another man. Why does he get to take that from me too? Mm Mm-hmm. And I Mm -hmm. just think if you really take a step back and say, you caused me all this damage, there's not going to be a limit or a ceiling on my healing. I'm not going to heal, but still be lonely. I'm not going to heal, but still be guilty. I'm not going to heal, but still be resentful to heal. And obviously it continues through your entire life, but to heal, you really have to be able to look at, I'm feeling very angry today. But anger isn't an actual thing. So what is it really? Am I feeling betrayed? Am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling anything else that that is a genuine emotion? Mm -hmm. So when it, it just came down to reclaiming my mental health and saying, 
after hearing for all these years, like, this is the truth. These things are true. Everybody thinks this about you. Everybody says this about you to be like, but wait a minute, like, doesn't what I think of me really matter a lot too? Mm -hmm. And once I was able to reclaim that, and once I was able to say that he loses his power when I control the narrative about me, and I control the narrative about our situation, what happened, it doesn't really affect my mental health as much as it did. Because in the beginning, it was debilitating. But again, Mm -hmm. just taking that and making it actionable, I immediately got into therapy. I immediately took a look at the whole picture and said, what can I box up for later and what needs to be dealt with now? And just doing that, checking in with myself constantly, like, all right, do we want to go into any of these old boxed up things today? No, I'm good. I've had enough tears this week. (laughs) So I think like just having enough confidence to trust yourself and say, I can handle this. Like I can figure this out. And I finally got to that point now where I don't think anybody else controls the way that I feel about me. I don't think anybody else knows me better than me, maybe my husband. But, <laughs> but I think that's so important is to being be fully confident and to trust yourself again. We're doing this episode because I want to bring light to this situation, but I'm also doing this for anyone that's listening, whether it's a male or a female, because it's not something that's just one sex or the other. If you're listening to this and you're in an abusive situation, you're in a relationship and you have children, it's always that number one fear of what if they take my children? What does life look like next? It's always the fear of the unknown. If we have a listener or Shauna right now that's listening and may think, this is why I'm not leaving. This is why I'm not taking that jump or that leap because I'm so scared. What advice would you tell him or her right now that's listening? The So when you look at that logically and not with your emotional brain, if you're continuing on this chaotic trajectory of abuse and it's escalating and it's escalating, the ending is bad if you stay. Mm-hmm. And so you think that the ending is bad if you leave, but you know that the ending is bad if you stay. And so even though for so long, you've had a million reasons to leave and that one reason to stay, it is just not enough because if you're sitting there thinking that you're going to lose your children because of the actions of somebody else, you are not the problem. You are not going to lose your kids because of what somebody else is doing. That's just not a thing. And I mean, obviously, when you watch like Netflix documentaries about how oh CPS charged into the hospital and took this child away from a mother that genuinely just loved her child to death. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is the exception. That's not the rule. And it is terrifying. I was horrified when CPS got involved in my family. And that was the ultimate thing I was trying to prevent. And it happened anyway. Mm -hmm. But now my daughter's in a wheelchair. So I think... It's important to leave as loud as possible the first time, because if you try to tippy toe your way out and you try like, oh, let me see if I stay with my mom for the weekend. If it's like, you know, I can start sneaking out when I was finally starting to be done. And when I was finally getting to the point where I'm like, this is unsustainable, like I we have to this has to end. I told everybody what happened. I told everybody the truth. And when the social worker sat me down in the hospital, she said, I am so proud of you because 
about 70 or 80% of women would stand by their husband and would have Mm -hmm. believed their story. And to me, it was just never an option. It was never a thing. So when I found out what he did, I told anybody that would listen, because if I wanted somebody to hold me accountable at that point, because I won't let that happen. I won't let anybody think I'm a shitty mom. (laughs) Like that to me (laughs) is my worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so important. And I think when, if you have someone in your life that's trying to leave an abusive situation and they're starting to really tell you some stuff where you're like, holy shit, I don't know if that happened or not. Like, why didn't they tell me? No, that's them coming to like the end of their rope mm-hmm. because they want somebody to know. And it's very hard because if you're like me, you took the little crumbs of them being a nice person and you were like taking pictures and videos a lot like the ones that you see in the beginning of my TikTok. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, I would never have guessed he did that. He looks like such a nice guy. He's playing with them. Like what you saw was 30 seconds out of four years. Mm-hmm. And I made him a good dad to everybody. So you have to be willing to say, yeah, I was full of shit. Like, this is what was really going on. This is what my life was genuinely like. I was just, that was my self-preservation because I felt ashamed of where I was at because I always thought I knew better. And I felt ashamed that other people would realize that I had, you know, overinflated all these special little happy moments. And so I think that that, like, just be honest And eventually, like, you will find somebody that's willing to help. You will get access to resources. And you will realize that everything that this person has pumped you full of in your head for the past however long is just a version of their truth that they're trying to push onto you. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, talking with us about this topic, sharing your story, because it's not easy. Uh, It's something where you go right back into that moment every single day when you talk about it. And I really hope this episode reaches at least one person. That's why the motto is what we seem to think, but don't say. This is that topic that's always taboo of don't talk about it. If you're a parent, be picture perfect. Show the good moments, not the bad moments. And like you said, it's a big percentage of those that would probably stay with their spouse's story and they would just be scared to create the waves, rustle the feathers. And especially on this podcast, that's exactly what we do. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, and I'll put all your information in the bio description. I highly urge all of you to follow her story. She's got it all. But I have to say, you are one strong female, and I'm so honored to have you on and know you and have you in this circle because I don't know very many people who could be gone through what you went through and come out the other side and have grace and dignity still take a little bit of, you know, that kick of feeling, feeling that honesty with yourself, but you're using it as a teaching tool. And I know if this can reach one woman or male, it's really going to help. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time right here with me. Thank you for listening to today's episode and don't forget to head over and rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform to bring others along this journey with us for next week's episode and subscribe on the Little Bit of Life YouTube channel for upcoming videos and live action to come.
Have you joined in on all of my adventures? Be sure not to miss a moment on Instagram at littlecute1az. Let's share these stories to more that need to be in the know. I will catch you on the next episode. And remember, be good to others and be good to you.